So you want to play 8-cast at Eternal Weekend. Next on Eternal Dirtles. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark. And with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Zach, it's good. Uh, this is the episode that everybody has been wanting, for, wanting forever. The one where I'm going to close my, my stupid mouth, my idiot mouth. I'm going to sit silent and listen to two 8-cast experts actually hash out the best version of the deck. Zach, let's introduce our guest. David Marchese, how's it going, man? It's going great. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's it's awesome to have you. I feel like, uh, you know, uh, I feel like we've 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 known each other for forever, but this is the first time we've actually been face to face. We just uh, constantly like go back and forth on like YouTube comments and through yeah. like '90s MTG chat. Yeah, I feel like right now my forums communication t- with you are the two you mentioned and then me constantly telling phil to tell you to put in patrick automaton and <laughs> and i've i finally done it i've i've ordered them they're on the way uh you're 100 percent correct after especially after looking at uh, i think 90s mtg just put out your uh final match in the 1k that, they, that you won today and um just watching like what i looked at uh as as a person who doesn't normally play the automaton uh, in that first game, I was like, oh, the game's over. This is, this game is over. You've lost. And then, like, you, t- you turned it around with a, a bobble pop and, uh, and just like going from one, one automaton to two automatons to two, to like a five, five with lifelink and a four, and four, four with yeah. lifelink. And, and, and luckily, uh, the opponent never hit their sorcery no. or a uh, creature to, to make the three uh, Dragon's Rage Chandler's live, but that yeah. that game looked unwinnable to me. There was there was definitely luck um, with uh, my opponent not hitting Delirium, and I was just making sure the entire time to just never block their creatures too. Yeah. So, it, big creature plus Shadow Spear is a good combination. It, I mean, that is that is the thesis of the deck, right? Is is if you can put Life Link on a big creature and it has Trample too. What can even be done? No, I mean those two keywords together is on a one mana artifact. It's it is the dream <laughs> for sure. Exactly. I prefer to call it the Morgul knife. Uh, but but yeah, no, yeah, of course. Uh, uh, that that whole the whole like play pattern of that deck is is when you can get that out on a construct and it's like an eight eight and you have a and you have a blocking like seven seven behind to just sit there and even if you can switch the uh shadow sphere over to the to the blocker afterwards it's it, it's it's ridiculous yeah uh so so i guess i i i'd like you to take it away and tell me one uh, t- just get everybody on board with automaton cuz i i think it took me a little convincing it may take uh, other people a little bit of convincing as well yeah so if if we go back earlier in the year for a cast um the deck was much heavier on Psy. You would regularly see three, potentially four size in a deck. You know, um, ACAS, it was going tall, it was going wide, it was just value, value, value. And your your big creatures were your constructs and maybe like the one or two Kappas in your deck. Um, but now, thanks to um, the testing of certain MTGO players like at Swifty Time, um, who's constantly putting up great results in weekend challenges and showcases, um, Danny Bambino. Um, Patrick Automaton is just a threat that we can put out with Ancient Tomb or 
land, opal, land, you know, petal. It's a turn one threat that protects itself and just keeps growing. Um, and I think what's really important right now with Acast is to have as strong as a turn one as possible. We already gained so much value in this deck. So I, with, I think the shifting of the meta, especially with the introduction of Orcish Showmasters, the general game plan has been more to go tall rather than just value and yeah. value in every which way possible. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the things too is that with the advent of Orcish Bowmasters and the fact that like, look, we're gonna keep drawing cards. We're not gonna stop. We're not gonna stop drawing cards, right? Like, we just gotta just gonna yeah. plow through the Bowmasters. Um, Sai is not gonna cut it. Uh, in a Bowmasters meta, uh, not the same way it used to, where like every time you're drawing a card, they're just picking off your your uh, tokens or the or the value you're gaining off those tokens. So I yeah. think I think especially in a Bowmasters meta, uh, leaning less on size is probably prudent. It's just I have two questions. Yes, two questions real quick on, on particularly on Patchwork going tall. Does does the skew towards going tall, so cutting some number of Psy in place of some number of Patchwork, does that place a heavier emphasis? on Shadow Spear being a critical component to closing a game out? Oh, yeah. Uh, Shadow Spear, honestly, like, I, I don't know how well the deck would work without Shadow Spear, just because you deal so much damage to yourself tapping Ancient Tomb indiscriminately every single turn. Um, I mean, if you're not, you're just going to, I think, fall behind and defeat the point of the deck. And the ability to just tutor it up so often um one like because it's great life game it's great against delver it's great against shadow like all the tempo decks um and then if you happen to gain a large amount of life it can often put you in situations where you don't in like game two and three where you don't have to overextend in the sideboard cards and really start to leave cards back into your hand for if you can't stop their inevitable meltdown and to go along with that, what's nice about Patchwork is that it's a two-mana artifact, so now it's taxing Meltdowns by an additional one mana. Yeah. that's my, That was my follow-up question was with regards to Meltdown is the because i i know that i mean i've played many a meltdown in my day uh the when you have <laughs> when, when 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 david and i first knew that we were going to be best friends forever uh he bobbled me he saw a meltdown on top of my deck and he hollywooded it he was like oh that's bad for me and i was like oh uh, and so i was like oh whatever's on top of my deck is going to be excellent for me so i draw it i think to myself hell yeah fuck yeah i'm a master gamer and i slam it i'm like meltdown you bitch and he's like Exicle counter zero. it with yeah counter it with chalice oh and god i should have shame conceded but i didn't i took you my beating. Not. i took yeah. my i took my beating like i deserve my um, follow-up was the chalice on three to stop the brotherhood end in your hand yeah yeah, oh, yeah. it man. was it, it was it was exactly <laughs> the kind of punishment that one deserves after uh doing what i did in that in that moment uh so 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 callously but speaking of meltdown uh I know that when when I've played against uh, ACAST opponents in the past, that oftentimes the follow-up to a meltdown would be a sigh to rebuild. Yeah. Like just sandbagging some number of sigh and then go a little bit wide, and that's a way to like establish a board presence following a mm -hmm. essentially a Wrath of God. Is that is does patchwork lean so it does tax the meltdown, but is meltdown more of a critical component of like just sandbag your remove your counter magic solely for the meltdown because you don't have as many sides to recover or is it not actually play out that way so i play games two and three obviously 
tremendously different from game one. Um, assuming all the meltdown decks are on the more fair side, um, I, I, I'm someone that's high on playing four force of negations. Oftentimes, you'll see three, and I essentially hold my force of wills and force of negations like for the card that tells me to go screw myself, like meltdown, mm-hmm. seeds, you know, uh, dress down, terminus, whatever it may be. Like I'm almost always just letting whatever resolve unless it's so disastrous. Like obviously you always have to counter like little Teferi unless you have like creatures to immediately kill them. But um, games two and three for me always comes like counter their hate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's not hate and you can afford to beat it in any of your other ways, even if you don't have that way in your hand right now, let it happen and counter hate. I have uh, multiple VODs on 90s MTG that end with me just holding like two forces, three forces of blue card. I just stop playing cards. I'm like, I have the win on board. Just hold every single force possible to the sideboard cards. I think often you're going to find that that when, when someone's casting Meltdown, they have a backup counter to counter your counter, so you actually do need a, yeah. a second one anyhow. I've I for a long time didn't understand um, the hydro blasts that players um, were putting in the sideboard. Um, I did recently swap to them. This was although I think it might no, I played it for the one k, um, and because all of a sudden I've become a little lower on chalice, yeah. especially in sideboard games uh I, I think chalice just has a really hard time getting there unless it's against like really certain decks like yes chalice against, chalice against death shadow is disgusting but yes uh, get rid of your chalices yes i mean i definitely yes. like on the draw i'll like i'm still on the full four but on the draw i'll usually board like two out just because it's significantly weaker on the draw yeah and i like a lot of the times I'm not losing to one mana spells. I'm losing to the, the hate card. And if I just don't let that resolve, I will win. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the four force negation of the board reminds me very much of... Uh, it's, it's a very doomsday uh style of sideboarding, where it's like you just have... You, you don't actually have like a removal or anything to like stop the thing that is going to stop you. You just like don't let that thing actually ever resolve between yeah. eight forces. Zach, you're on four force negation in the board too, right? I'm on uh, two, but currently I'm playing three Flusterstorms so hmm. that they yeah. can get through my uh, Chalice of the Voids as well. I see. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's, right, that's kind of the plan I'm running on. I'm uh, looking at my board right now. Right now my, my counters are two Hydroblasts, four Negations, and two Flusters. Yeah. I, I come like with the full counter package yeah. at this point. That's just where I'm at. Well, you know, one of the interesting things, uh, t- talking about uh, you know those board wipes that we have to worry about, um, and then uh, sort of uh, going back to the Automaton uh, situation, is Automaton uh, allows you to play uh, a sort of a second plan, what I call the Kappa Cannoneer plan, where you're just putting, where you're just casting as many artifacts as possible, and then popping them to draw more artifacts. Yeah. Um, so th- that plan versus what I call the Construct plan, where you're just like letting them sit on the board and doing as much damage as possible. So. That sort of it makes you resilient as well against the uh, against the uh, plan of of meltdown. It's like, oh, I still have a full grip of cards. You know, I just I, you know during your upkeep, I just drew four cards. You know, and I was going to play them all next turn anyways and draw four more cards. Uh-huh. So I think the automaton allows you to uh, allows you to kind of uh, circumvent that as well. Just by, just at 
at the base of just being a card that wants you to continue to cycle your bobbles anyhow? Yeah, I think what I love so much about Acast is I love decks that have a lot of small moving parts and critical mass synergies. Um, and this little Mishra's bobble, Urza's bobble, which is just zero mana, you know, can trip and look at the top or look at a card somewhere. Uh, it becomes zero mana. Oh, now it's kind of uh, a land for all of your affinity cards. Oh, it's a land for Kappa. Oh, it's plus one counters for Kappa uh, or one one side. It's a plus one for patchwork. Like managing how to use your zero cost is such a, I think, like hard to notice skill in ACAST because there's so many, like, not doing anything is a very active decision in this deck. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's not like you don't you don't see that decision. Like, I, okay, I left my bobble on the board. It's like, oh, okay, he left his bobble on the board. But like, there was like thinking like, okay, do I I have a force? Do I just am I going to bobble for a blue card, or do I want to save this in hopes that maybe I draw one of my payoffs? You know, like you said, like thought monitor, thought cast, or kappa that can use these artifacts on the field. Um, you know, sometimes you have to keep them just because you need your construct to be bigger than their arrow. Yeah. Um, so the use of bobbles and then subsequently like Lotus Petal is like such an important part of the deck. And I, I, I think like that that's like the first skill that like ACAS players should want to work on is just managing their zero cost artifacts and like how to maximize the cast and just the existence of each one. Like, don't just, like, willy-nilly play them, but also, like, if you think your opponent has Chalice on Zero or Lavinia, you kind of just have to play them. <laughs> yeah. It's like a when, game. When you were learning that, that, essentially applying those skills of figuring out bobble management, uh, for, also, for the record, when you said bobble pop at the beginning of the episode, uh, I vote to change the deck name to, to bobble pop. <laughs> um, but was... When you were first learning how to manage your bobbles, was there uh, a moment where you, is it just, you know, board assessment at the time? Or is there a, a fallback if you're unsure? Do you more often than not uh, crack them? Do you leave them? Like, what are the, the takeaways for somebody who's like coming to it, not understanding necessarily how to manage their bobbles? Because it's, it's different from like me explaining to somebody how you should manage your ponder versus brainstorm, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's similar in, in, in vain, but it's very different in practice. Yeah, I think um, it can be really difficult to just explain the idea of when not to, because you get into so many of these weird, unique situations that you can be in for the first time still so many times. Um, but like generally speaking, if you're if you're good with the cards in your hand, you're sitting fine, you still got things to do, you know, you can leave the bobbles down because now you draw a thought cast cap, you know, you draw whatever payoff, you just keep it going, you know. Um, if you have a, if you're rich in artifacts and you don't need to make your constructs huge or you don't have constructs, you know, start cycling them, popping them through. If you absolutely just need like counters, like forces, like just get those in blue cards. Like regularly, um, I'll if I have like multiple bobbles, sometimes I'll bobble the top card of my deck, see if it's a blue card to for my force. This way, I don't have to pop the other bobbles. Um, Clever. Uh, so, alternative, 
yeah, so that's like one of the definitely the things you got to do. Um, it, it's really just what benefits me more in this situation. This currently being, I guess, like a mana rock slash buff for my constructs or a card that I need from the top of my deck. That's like the assessment you have to be doing at all times. Because you can just constantly second your bobbles, and you're going to get stuck with a bunch of cards you can't cast in your hand. Like, you're you eventually going to have, have a bunch of lands in your hand, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're you're going to have a bunch of lands, you're going to have a bunch of thought monitors and kappas you can't cast. Like The whole yeah. point of these is to cheat out expensive spells early, so if you're just popping them all willy-nilly, like you're not going to be doing the broken thing in the deck. But yeah, I think, I think that's one of the things that comes from uh, putting a lot of reps in with this deck, is realizing... When when it's time to crack these and get the value back out of them, and when it's time to leave them on the board to get value out of them that way, um, and and I think that is the that is the clear delineation from someone who owns the deck and from someone who excels with the deck. Yeah, I mean, pretty much uh, a player um, that I play a lot of games story was like, when you're popping bobbles, I'm happy because that means you're digging for something. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then on top of that, um. It's just, it's either you're behind or greatly ahead if you're popping. That's like pretty much the two situations. If you're in the mm -hmm. middle, you probably leave them on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Quick question before we talk about uh, some different matchups. Yeah. Uh, are, are, do, does it tilt you as much as it tilts me that there isn't an Emery printed that says affinity for artifacts yet? <laughs> I, I don't always enjoy the inconsistencies in wording or potentially lack thereof. Uh, let's see. This spell costs one. Yeah, it should just say affinity. Um, <laughs> right. It is the exact wording well, well, of affinity. It is. It should, it should just. It, it's like uh, how consider is surveil, but they didn't want to write surveil. Yeah, and now they've errated it, so it is surveil. It so could, it'll I trigger surveil's it, matter. It, but I, it could just been surveil draw card. I'm like, look, succinct, mm -hmm. easy, but no. <laughs> way cleaner. Way cleaner. All right, so I, I want to uh, quickly chat about. Uh, some uh, matchups that you uh, enjoy seeing across the table and matchups that you don't like seeing across the table. Yeah. Uh, and then also uh, how, if at all, the mirror and how you navigate it changes with the adoption of automaton versus the heavier side builds versus something like a painter build and uh, how you go about those. So first off, what, what are the matchups that you're like, if you could go down into, if you go go to Eternal Weekend, all 15 rounds, you're like, if I sat across this every round, that would be a blessed weekend. I propose we start with the mirror, actually. I I am not the, I, I'm the Miracles bro, so I'll let the A-Cats guy I have propose, that. I propose we start with the Miracles, uh, David, mostly because I think that's my favorite match to go up against because it leverages, it's pure skill on, on leverage. Like, you yeah. basically are put up against somebody else who you have to assume has has less reps with with the deck than than you do and then and then you get to just show them how how you play the deck differently than them and and for a deck with so many options uh it, it can often you can often throw people off by do by doing the opposite of what they expected and leading them into situations like you said where where they think you're digging but you're ahead yeah um so my first comment on the mirror is if I know going into the match that it's the mirror, I'm very unhappy. I hate the mirror. Because I've played the mirror before where both people know we're on ACAST. And the way it goes is if you go first, you play all of your stuff, and then you put Chalice on zero and you win. <laughs> <laughs> um, and because now they're just have 16 dead cards in their deck 
uh, 8 bobble, yeah, 16 dig cards in the deck. And you're just going to accelerate so much quicker than them. Um, but with this a work, like, let's say you're in the blind where, like, they're going to be boarding out. Most people are going to board out Chalices game two and three, so you're not yeah. going to end up in that situation. Um, the mirror gets really interesting because there's so many ways to derive value. It's like go tall versus just draw a bunch of cards. Um, so game one, I just think, becomes who gets the bigger constructs with Shadow yeah. Spear. Like Shadow Spear becomes so important. And then a big thing that can come up is Emery Spellbomb Loops. Um, mm. bouncing construct tokens. Um, if you have the mana, like you can, you can realistically bounce Patchwork Automaton, but Kappa might be tough. Kappa is kind of like the mirror breaker, because um, if you end up in like giant creature standoff, um, obviously you know you play an artifact, Kappa triggers with its five million words of text, and now it's unblockable. Yeah. So, in ideal world, you have Kappa with them not having the ability to pay the ward, and you can just, like, mm. cheat wins that way. But um, assuming no Kappa, it's just uh, big creatures with Shadow Spears and, like... I'm trying to think what I would want to counter. I mean, Emery's probably a big one, because neither player plays any removal, so the yeah. second an Emery sticks, it's if just you can gonna stop, be If you City. can stop Emery, I find that that's, that's yeah. the, be the best thing you can do against the opponent, especially uh, because... If the game does go long, Emery Emery just puts no. it way out of out of your uh, out of your reach. Emery has sold so many games for me, just being Library Alexandria on crack. <laughs> yeah, I find that in the mirror, uh, the the thing that differentiates uh, what one like a winning a, a winning match uh, from a losing match is in game one. Whoever gets their second Urza Saga is generally the person that yeah. that ends up winning because the first Urza Saga generally gets Shadow Spear. The second Urza Saga goes after so, some value piece. It's either uh, uh, they they you, your opponent has Emery and you're like, all right, I'll just get Pithing Needle and stop you mm -hmm. from from doing shenanigans, and then you have you know four eight eights. Uh, yeah. Or it's it's you get uh, the bobble and you just set them or bobble you get the spell bomb and you just set them back like two turns. Another way that I've won Urza Saga mirrors, so not just a cast like Painter, like anything that relies heavily on Urza Saga, is if you're going first and you drop turn one Saga and they don't. Like I've been against a lot of opponents, I go turn one Saga on the play. They go turn one Saga or turn two Saga, sorry, on the draw. I don't get a Shadow Spear. I get a Pithy Needle. I make two Constructs. I get a Pithy Needle. I name Saga. They Stop get them. no Constructs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It turns off the That was their whole plan. Yeah, yeah, it's like, like Pithy Needling my own Saga has won me a lot of games because I was just ahead. It's like essentially like one Needle just killed two Constructs for me, and I have two Constructs. Yeah. It's it's the, it's the it's like playing Winter Orb in old school. Yeah, so it's it, it's <laughs> it's so, like, going first, I mean, like, you can always say that, but going first is so important, because if they go turn one Saga and you don't, like, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. And then out of the board, uh, we see things like Hercules Recall. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, for me, it's like, Brazen Borrow and Hercules Recall are the cards that, like, to me, stand out in, in the mirror, but I, I don't know that I have a lot in my board. I just kind of try. Oh, and Haywire Might. Oh uh, yeah, Haywire, Haywire Might is is bonkers. Um, obviously, so my boards 
changed a bit. I used to have Hercules Recall for like the last six months on my board, and I only just recently took it out. Uh, I find diverse less artifact decks in paper. Yeah. Um, you can definitely verse more online where people are more willing to play various Grim Monolith combo decks. Um, but the reality we live in with paper is, you know, people are just significantly less likely to invest into those decks and also just play them in paper since it's just so nice to play online when it does all the counting for you. Yeah. Um, but I would, pr I would bring in Dismembers um, just because killing... Sigh and Nemery is just too important. Um, and this way, they can resolve in Nemery fine. And it's, it becomes a one-for-one one rather than two-for-one with the Force. Um, I was going to ask if the dismembers that uh, I saw your 1K list was running the board. You were running three, right? Yeah. Uh, three. yeah I was... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to ask if the, the dismembers that... If those three dismembers, if that was something that had been around for a while to stop those kinds of creatures or if that was an adoption because of bowmasters being everywhere in the metagame no um so this member has definitely been like a staple since i've so i started playing legacy this year uh, and then i started paper in april hmm. um and Dismembers and Force of Negations have been the consistent never left my sideboard cards. You need Dismembers for Oof, uh, Lavinia, like any sort of creature that just hoses you, uh, Dismember exists. You need it for taxes. Um, I don't like, so those type of decks where creatures have these like static abilities that um, can screw you or like Painter, you bring it in for Painter. Um, because between Goblin Welder destroying your artifacts, Painter obviously painting you, um, it's it, it's too good there. We we just don't have access to good kill spells otherwise, so Dismember uh, just, just fits that slot perfectly, and the life loss is often not a big issue because hmm. you just gain it back with a big creature in Shadow Sphere. Yeah, the off of. Uh... Speaking of damage, Zach, this is a great opportunity for you to get those psionic blasts out of your board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, psionic blast works really great with uh, with uh, ancient tomb, right? I saw someone <laughs> over the weekend challenge got. I think it was like seventeenth or something, and they played three main deck go for the throats in their eight castles. They're on black. They went over to black. <laughs> yeah, people went on to black for a bit just because black was already our most common sideboard color outside of blue. Yeah, and then mm. some people were trying bowmasters. Um, supporting a second color is actually really easy in eighth cast because in my build alone right now I have eight rainbow sources um, between yeah. mm -hmm. four petals for mox opals, and, and then Saga can get it if you need it, right? Yeah, and, and Saga can fetch those things. Um, uh, and then on top of that, what some people do is they drop one island for one spire of industry, um, which is the artifact rainbow land. Mm -hmm. um, if you have an artifact rainbow land, I should say. And uh, so that's like, it's nine sources to cast your spells, which is like very doable, especially when you can like tutor mock yeah, yeah, and I, stuff. I, I remember, Zach, you were saying that Haywire might has been a constant, yeah. uh, you know, thing that's been immensely useful for you, particularly at fighting other sagas, and that you've never played a green source in your deck. No, no. Well, I mean, I, I think I picked up Haywire Might as soon as it got printed. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, this is a one-mana artifact. We, I mean, every time a one-mana artifact gets printed, we're like, hmm, will this work oh. with Urza's Saga? And Haywire Might, I was like, this exiles. It's so good in the mirror. It's like, you just have to risk not having the mana to play it. Like, you're, gonna, you're probably going to. <laughs> 
What's that? Yeah, RIP, RIP, RIP top, top, but it'd yeah. be in every R- year. <laughs> <laughs> RIP top, but get but get your candy trails now. Yeah, get, I, get I think candy trail. Uh, it's it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that. I was going to bring that up uh, near the end, but ca- candy trail is a card that just seems like perfect for this deck with the life gain and the and the scry and the draw all put together. Yeah. Um, so I guess if, if for a while the Veladrine, the um, I think that that card definitely seemed interesting, but I I, I think just with how strong legacy is like i'm just always gonna want find myself wanting the combination of shadow spear pithy needle or um mox opal so it's like i i have a really hard time finding a situation where i want that card yeah the card that i've been paying attention to from wild developing is uh how do you pronounce this Sir Ginger, the meal ender. Sir Ginger, we talked about this uh, on on the set review. It looks like it looks interesting as far as uh, yeah. you know, being able to take out like a Narset that would you know kill all of your uh, draw effects. So, um, it it just seems like a card that if for some reason like just guy control with their five million planeswalkers and few creatures becomes like a real issue, you can like throw two of these in your board and all of a sudden. Now you have this creature that his haste text group coming out smacking all of their like it's a three it's a three one and yeah you know turn two it, you just hold on to your bobbles and this is going back to bobble synergy which was making me excited about the card now your bobbles on top of everything they already do they're also putting a one one counter on this creature and scrying yeah so it's it's scry draw card for zero mana yes ridiculously good I, um I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is I'm value we haven't, seen, we haven't seen since Slash Panther, you know? <laughs> I, know. I, I was going to say for, for Sir Ginger, I remember the, the only time where I've ever felt like I'm able to, like, get myself enough breathing room to, like, be competitive in this matchup is when I have a Caracas on the table. Is Sir Ginger something that, you, that you've been considering as, like, simply a cyborg card for those Just Guy Planeswalker matchups? Or is it something that would be in that Patchwork Automaton space? Um, I think Patchwork is just generically better um because it always protects itself Hmm. um whereas sir ginger certainly has the upside of scrying with your bobbles which is great but i think it's going to hurt too much in other matchups like shadow delver um like it, it really suffers in a lot of the I guess like you know the tempo matchups that mm. run well, a lot of removal. Well, we've talked about the the mirror, but uh, what about some of the other decks? Like, how how do you feel about Death Shadow? Uh, I overall like the matchup. I think it's favored. I mean, you can always just get grief reanimated as anyone can, and that never feels good. Um, but their deck. There was one player who splashed one steam vents for meltdown because, you know. Why not, right? Uh, but um, <laughs> most aren't. They're just doing like null rods. Um, I, I'm typically speaking, I think, happy to sit down against the table from a Death Shadow player. Like Chalice truly just hoses them like yeah. so hard. Their only answer to it game one is to bounce it with Raisin Bar. I don't think they literally have anything else. No, I mean, when um, I'm playing the 60-card version of, of the deck, there's nothing I can do. I just eat it to that card, especially because I'm also splashing green for Berserk, so it, like, doubly gets me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the 60-card version has no answers. 
they can put big creatures, I can put big creatures. The the issue just comes like I always feel confident that I can beat the first bowmaster. It's the second and the third one that really become the issue. Three bowmasters. So, <laughs> well, just like you're into the first one, and then because like a lot yeah. of the times with one, the way I beat bowmaster is like I present a big creature. I just keep attacking with it, and eventually you're going to have to block with the Bowmaster. And then all the cards that say draw cards, I just do that. Yeah. Um, but it can be tough when the second Bowmaster comes out. Now, like, you could have, like, been really low on gas, and you might really need to draw cards, which then, you know, obviously you know the end result of drawing cards, Bowmaster out. Um, so I love I love the Death Shadow matchup overall, but they can always just get you. Um, I was was, was going to ask on the, before we we go to another deck list uh, is how you guys combat no rod. And I mean, again, everything that I'm, I come at is from the experience of like the person who's playing those hate pieces. Mm -hmm. It's like, I have played no rod before. And what I find is that it, it it always seemed like it was relatively easy to play around because you just put big bodies and then start beating me down with the bodies and like, you know, uh, the, er, er, Emery just recurring literally any artifact of the yard is also an anthem effect. And so it's like, I always felt like the, the no rod was actually really anemic. Uh, I mean, more anemic than I wanted it to be as like a card coming out of my board yeah. for the artifact deck. Yeah. And you know, like, obviously you can bring it against Storm and stuff like that where it's really powerful. But like, I always felt like uh, against uh, eight cash, it was like a six and a half, a seven. Yeah. So any of those effects, no rod, oof, uh, stony silence, um, I guess also Karn, but he's a lot more of an issue than the previous three. Um, I've beaten those being resolved um, plenty of times before. If you have an Urza Saga and a bunch of artifacts down... It don't matter, yeah. Like, okay, I can't use these, but I can still turn my 8-8 sideways. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it's like, and you can absolutely get got. It's just like, because if you if you if you land it on turn two, and I just don't have a good enough setup and no sagas, like, yeah, you, you can beat me. But I can still cast a kappa with improvise. You're not stopping the improvise effect. Yep. Um. So there are definitely a lot of ways to beat those cards after being resolved. But a lot of the way I play against Death Shadow is I understand like that's their only artifact hate card. Like, I haven't seen them play Hercules Recall. Um, that's something they could adopt if they really want to. Uh, some of them, and like I think it's telling that you see one player who did well who splashed a seam vents just for like meltdowns and maybe yeah. like maybe a pyroblast. I don't know, but definitely for meltdowns because they they thought that the null rod just wasn't cutting it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that was that's been my experience. Yeah, them existing still counts for all the things that counts up your artifacts. I just I can't pop my bobble, but it's still doing everything else that it does yeah it still produces it produces one mana for all of your affinity spells Makes it's the still, you know bigger. like there's it's so much there's so much like also like you no rod doesn't can stop you, you, you drawing you can, you, right? you can you can improvise yeah. through that effect yes yeah, yeah. and it doesn't Co- stop you from drawing two with your thought monitor comes on the board yeah. it's still a flyer it still draws two so it gums up the board uh i, I and like i said there are so many times where yeah you, like like you just said uh that it's you have an eight eight on the board and you weren't going to pop them anyhow. You're just going to swing in with your with your Urza Saga. Um, I, I the only real answer that I play and and I've used it a cu- couple times is is doing Brazen Borrower on one to like get get yeah. a couple of draws off. Of. But or your two main board auto Yeah, 
Nine times out of ten, it's just, uh, you know, like, it's not a meltdown. So you're like, whatever, I'll get to that eventually. I have a, a question for, uh, you know, not being unable to come to a, an archetype without trying to make it worse. Uh, have you guys ever thought in that uh, post cyber slot? And the reason that I'm thinking about this is because, Zach, I remember at uh, SCG Baltimore, you played against, you played a mirror and your opponent had an Urza, Lord High Artificer, in the sideboard. He was on Blue as Painter. A mirror breaker. Yeah. Oh, he was on yeah. Blue Painter. Okay, yeah. 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 But uh, so, but there are some cards that like are in and out of you know talking about Sir Ginger is potentially an out in the sideboard. Uh, you know, we saw that 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 player had an Urza's Lord High Artificer in the sideboard. I remember when I was trying to approach a cast a little while ago before you know I got stubborn and went back to counterbalance. Uh, I was looking at Temeshi as a way to rebuy Urza Saga because I kept thinking, okay, well Urza Saga is the best. Uh, thing you can be doing and just having more access to more of those seems good uh is uh, are there any other cards along those lines that have like sort of moved in and out of your sideboard or considerations that you made uh or stuff that like is always at an arm's length for an event yeah so over there at least i looked over there is i have a stack of sideboard cards that's like probably 30 40 cards tall you know like i mean that's especially in a format like legacy there's so many silver bullets that in the current meta is like you would never play it but who knows with the shift like um so the answer to that question i have a very large sideboard you know obviously i only get 15 cards to pick um and it's just really what i expect like uh if i expected more um larat mage decks like the brazen bar to go back in if I expected a lot more artifact decks, I'd be putting in the Hercules Recall. Um, you know, uh, one player in Japan has been high on like the Green Splash, where you go on one island and disperse fire, and then like you have like the Sage You and Life from the Loam. Um, I've never heard of that. That seems sick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Getting Life from the Loam back and, and just like continuing the Urza Saga shenanigans seems great. Because I, I've played um, Crucible of Worlds in yeah. my sideboard mm -hmm. before when I want to get grindier. The advantage that Loam has over Crucible is that Loam also lets you continuously keep um, using your channeling your Atawara. Yeah. And Besages. And it, it's you, you can flip value for memory too. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I the... have not played that one in paper. Hmm. One of the, uh, I don't want to spoil too much because, uh, David, we're going to have you on for sort of a uh, shorter, like, featured deck tech, uh, yeah. probably early next week. But one of the things that uh, we mentioned in that is is how so much of the so much of your uh, your sideboarding is based on, yeah, I'm going to keep my Force of Wills in, uh, but I'm going to take out this, this or that or this. So Force of Will does a lot of the work for sideboarding to, to begin with. Um, but that allows you to kind of spread out your sideboard a little bit and, and, and uh, you know, cause that's your silver bullet for your opponent's silver bullets. You're not so much answering uh, questions your opponent's doing is just questioning the answers that they're throwing at you. Um, so I, I think also having uh so force will staying in right as, as like a sideboard card, but then also you have access to so many ones and zero uh, mana uh, artifacts that are silver bullets against certain decks, like, you know, uh, Soul Guide Lantern or uh, Tormod's Crypt, stuff like, stuff like that, that you only need one of, you know, you get yeah. that, you get that one, you know, and so that allows you to expand your sideboard a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, 
Saga. Saga is one of my favorite cards. Uh, like I was maining, and there's a Saga Emery deck in Modern as well before I came over. I was playing Grinding Breach. Um, Saga just lets you win so many matchups that maybe you don't have a right winning because you just tutor the hate piece. Like, it's like, okay, do I want um, Soul Guy Lantern, which is what I'm typically on, or if I like expect really amounts, like heinous amounts of graveyard decks, I'm like, alright, I'll guess I'll... Uh, Go get Grafdigger's Cage, um, which turns off my own Emery's, but, you know, Grafdigger's Cage what? is gross against some decks. But it only turns off, like, if you wanted to rebuy your Thought Monitors, right? It does. You can still bobble. Right? Yeah. You no, can, you, I, can, you can cast cards from the graveyard. Yeah. It stops everything. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, okay, okay. I so, yeah, yeah. like, for example, against Reanimator, obviously it stops all their creatures yeah, yeah, coming yeah. in, but it also stops them from flashback, um, Faithless Looting, and Cabal Therapy. Yeah, yeah. And you can also stop dudes and Stress Daddy from uh, getting uh, stuff with their green sums against that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, so right now I'm not on Grafdigger's Cage, but that's a card that is, like, always, like, very close to being in if it's not. Yeah, I call that the 16th slot. I'm always looking at that card being like, hmm, nah. But what's beautiful about uh, the Souls, Soul Guide Lantern versus Grafdigger's Cage is like, yeah, it's a one-time effect, but because you are rebuying it like with, with Emery, it works that way. But the, the fact that you can use it to draw a card and on top of that, like you can just blank their entire graveyard over and over again is kind of, uh, is kind of the beauty of that card. Like before we had... Termon's Crypt, and that was fine. And, you know, it, look, the decks really never existed without Soul's Guide Lantern, but yeah. uh, being able to, like, Termon's Crypt every turn was fine, but knowing that, like, you don't have to go find that other bobble, like, if you didn't have a bobble, and you could still get the card draw off of that card, it just adds an extra dimension to that hate piece. Yeah, I mean, Termon's Crypt being a zero mana artifact is so enticing. But I just think the other ones are just so much stronger that you're fine. Yeah, and it co they cost zero them. anyhow, right? Like they're they coming cost zero out for from free. Saga. Yeah, if they're two, <laughs> yeah. The only yeah. downside to them costing one is sometimes you can end up in a situation where you screwed yourself with Chalice. I watched like I you do that, and at the very first game, I was like, "Oh no, he chal he put his Chalice back out, and he has the uh, Shadow Spear in his in his graveyard. What's he doing?" And then you ended up it ended up getting. Uh, blown up anyhow and you got yeah. the shadow spear out but i was like no you didn't get the shadow spear back there was there was just a... next level plays you knew that i was gonna get blown up in two turns I, you're like this is gonna yeah. be perfect there was there was one match i played chalice on one uh just to stop my opponents from doing stuff uh i then out of word chalice back into my hand played uh, it was uh, it was needle or some sort of one card that i needed and then i played chalice again <laughs> my opponent wait was that against Phil? I don't think it was against Phil, but it was like it was like a very long. It was like earlier in the year, but I, I was I liked that play of Otterurian, my own chalice. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it definitely wasn't against me because I definitely would have remembered that. Yeah. I don't think anybody's ever picked up their own chalice against me before. So what what do you think about Grixis Delver? I I think this is one of the hardest matchups because there's pressure and and meltdowns. Yeah, Delver's a weird matchup for me. Um, like, I feel like overall, traditionally, I do pretty well on the matchup. Um, they have 21 cost spells. Um, so Chalice is good against them until Chalice becomes, like... And 
like Chalice can become potentially not good if you don't land it early and they get to go through their deck. Um, Delver is a fun matchup. I find Delver to be a fun matchup. Because um, you can just go big creature, Shadow Spear. Like, if, if you smack one time with the big creature and Shadow Spear, which gives you enough life to start doing everything with your tombs again, yeah, I, I feel really good. Um, There's a real pressure play with having the Ancient Tombs against a deck like that that's like running bolts. Oh, you know, bolts. And... The, bolts the creature. <laughs> yeah. With Delver and DRC. Um... Yeah, that's a matchup that, like, I feel like on paper, hypothetically, should be E-cast favored, but it always feels, like, very 50-50 to me. Um, it's Delver. They can wasteland you. Uh, I don't care about days. I, I don't really respect days as an E-cast player, but... <laughs> um, there's, not much to, there's not much to worry about with days. Like, occasionally, you're going to be in a situation where, like, they, they get your... Kappa Cannoneer with it or something like that, but like for the most yeah. part, you just have so much excess mana that it's a dead card in their hand a lot of times. And oftentimes, I consider boarding out Kappa against Delver. I don't like playing Kappa against Counterspell Pyroblast decks. Yeah. Because, um, sure, if it resolves, great, but they beat it on the stack pretty easily, is the issue. Um, yeah. They're without a wasteland. It, 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 there's like so many play patterns. Like if I go turn one saga, cast pithy needle, name wasteland, follow up with tomb. I'm already thinking like, especially if it's game one and I've done this against very skilled good delver players. I'm like I already won. Like it's over. Like I'm about to make two three threes. One of which is going to be a four four life link. Like my creatures are bigger than yours. Like, I don't. I don't, and they're gonna obviously they're gonna be bigger because I'm gonna play more artifacts. Like I, I truly don't know what they do at that point. If you if you go Saga, Pity Needle, Wasteland, but um, if you don't have like one of those God Starts against Delver, then I definitely think it becomes like a really intricate, fun match. But I, I think we can create non-games with certain openers that we get. Yeah. Um. How do you feel about the like pile decks? Oh, the four C pile decks. I yeah. love them. I want to burst them every time. That's <laughs> I. I legitimately think that's one of Acast's best matchups. Um, because I don't care about the ring. I have main deck Pithy Needle. I have sideboard Haywire Bite. Um, yeah. I am like Acast is so equipped to fight the one ring. I want all my opponents. And then on top of that, we have counters. Like, so. And if you spend four mana to fog me one turn, draw a card, and then I needle it or something, it's like, sure, fine, you got it. Um, I don't care about Uro. My creature is going to be bigger than Uro. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest issue that you have to have with that deck is uh, finding, like, knowing that you've probably pithy needled something else and seeing, like, seeing, like, Misk and Boo hit the board after you've already expended your Pithy Needle on something else. And then and then having to, like, you know, as, like, a turn three play. You know, like, they're like, okay, I'm going to play, yeah. uh, you know, Delighted Halfling uh, into something else, into Misk and Boo, and, and you, you know, you try to stop their something else with a Pithy Needle. I feel like I've been noticing, at least just, just in the local meta, like, slightly less Misk and Boos in these forcey like i'm calling them like 4c legends now yeah um because hmm. with like glide halflings like 
okay, so Delighted Halfling, turn one Delighted Halfling into turn two Teferi is terrifying. If they do that, I am not in a good position. But if they don't do that, I like, I don't know. It's just, you put Planeswalker, like they play Narset, they play, it doesn't matter. I'll just have a creature, I'll beat it down. I'm not yeah. like, with the why, Planeswalker. Why, why Teferi specifically? I think I think that's something that uh, people watching would, would so, really know. So Teferi specifically, because it, if if you you can counter Teferi, so they go halfling, they play uncounterable Teferi, and then they bounce something. They're bouncing your saga, they're bouncing your child, like whatever you just played. They're up a card, and now they're just going to keep slamming must answer threat after must answer threat, and you can have the possibility that you just have all these force of wills sitting in your hand, and they're dead cards. And by the time you deal with Teferi, like they're just instant speed, like. Prismatic endings on you. Um, that's the start from them that I'm, that I'm terrified of because I can't counter any of their stuff, and now they can do everything at instant speed, and they really put me behind by bouncing whatever. Yeah, the bounce seems, seems actually terrible, especially if it's hitting an Urza Saga, and that was your plan. Because if they went first, you're not making a construct now, and now I can't deal with the Deferi. Yeah. That that's I think that's the worst part about Teferi is the fact that it can bounce enchantment. Urza Saga is an enchantment. Now you're back a land. Uh, if if your start was uh, was on the premise that you were going to play turn one Saga into turn two uh, Tomb and and make that your whole plan, you you looked at your hand and was like, "This is good enough based on that." And if that plan gets ruined, you're you're in real trouble. Yeah, and then um, because there's just a bunch of like value cards that Phil hates. Um, just a bunch of must answer one card. I wins if you don't. Uh, but but Acast is truly just like we we outvalue them. We draw more cards. Yeah. We play big creatures, and like we're not very vulnerable to the one ring comparative to other decks. So it, it, that's just I think since Lord of the Rings came out, um, like seven to one in the matchup now. Okay. Um, uh, also, like what a what a uh, you know going back what a, a called miss shot. Uh, I thought when one ring was spoiled, I thought like you know it was just going to be you know stock. We're going to be looping this yeah. memory, and then it just like it's nowhere in AK. Like it just has not no. came, come through. You don't need it, is what it comes down that, that, to. It's yeah, like that's, it's that's like what wonderful that yeah. you're drawing extra cards like at a rate that's slower than just drawing you know drawing two cards and the drawing two yeah. cards and the drawing two cards for one mana. You know, like yeah, I, think that, I, I, that's I, I, I just thought like. I, I thought the, the the looping of protection forever was the thing that like would in, be incentivized. It's like, oh, my opponent just can never kill me now because they can never touch me. And I was like, oh, that seems actually really powerful. But it just, you know, of course, like in, in practice now, seeing how like the deck operates, like it seems too slow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I remember when it was first spoiled, I thought that like just having an additional axes to beat your opponent of like I can never die is w w was really appealing but D it just David, hasn't i don't know if you'll agree with me on this but that always seems like magic christmas land to me because emery is the first thing that people kill uh emery yeah Mostly emery... because it's one of the few things they can kill people uh do not let emery stick if they can no. uh control it <laughs> i don't think I, I can't remember a game where i've gotten like three uses out of emery that i either didn't win in that time or uh that i you know like she died yeah, yeah you always strip mine the <laughs> Library of Alexandria team. Come on. Yeah. 
It's like, okay, yeah, sure, this card that's going to constantly tutorable draw one card from my graveyard each turn, like, you can ignore it, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for the one wing and eight cast, it, it's, it's four mana, so you're never going to cheat it out early, is the issue. Like, decks that use the one wing are either these um mystic forge you know manifold key like combo decks with you know grim monolith and they can abuse the hell out of getting those mid-range colorless things out and then tapping them and untapping a bunch of times so it's busted in that shell um and then you have four color which is just i'm going to slam must answer threat each turn so it's fine that it comes out on turn four because you had to answer the thing that i did on turn three or mm-hmm. like so well, I think that's that's an important part of the uh, of the equation there too. Is like, let's say we do get it out on turn one, we're missing half of the value. You know, the the value of that card is being able to slam it on turn four, uh, yeah. at you know, unprotected, and then be like, cool. The next next turn when I untap, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be up cards, and I'm going to slam like my new thing that you have to deal with. Playing it on but, turn one is just like whatever. Like it it just drew me an extra card. That's really interesting. And I, I never actually thought about the devaluing of the protection if it comes down earlier than it does in a developed board game or a board state. That's, I, I, that's cool. I never actually considered that. When I was thinking about like, oh yeah, of course, ring coming down early is like more powerful because the, the draw engine is so insane. But the idea that if the board hasn't developed and the protection is kind of useless early is kind of potent. That may have skewed me to not thinking that it would be an A-cast uh, from the jump. But And what's interesting is if you if you look at um, it's Swifty time. The, the player mentioned earlier, who's been doing well in challenges. Uh, they're actually down on thought monitors. Like I, th- I think their current build only runs one thought monitor, like one or two. Yeah, yeah. Yo, if 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 we're not, if if we are actually away or off or trending towards moving away from being eight cast, then it looks it's looking good for Bobble Pop. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, do I have to come in and tell people, no, I'm on five cast today? Yeah, no, I'm on, I'm on six cast. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think for the final like uh, matchup situation, it, we should just blanket combo decks like Storm yeah. and Reanimator, th- those style of decks. I feel like we, you have sort of the same approach to those, but, but what do you think? Uh, put Chaos on one, and then Force of Will the cards that beat you. Yeah, I think um, that's that's pretty. That's and then tutor tutor this thing off a of saga that beats him. <laughs> I was gonna say, do you have to, do you guys have to think of or respect uh, combo at all? Given that you, but even before you get to combo, you're already a four chalice eight force of will deck. Like, is combo just like a consideration that you take into account at all outside of maybe the graph diggers cage? Um, well, you already have like a soul guide lantern in the main to like. Sort of mess up uh, graveyard if they don't. No, I don't do soul guide in the main. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, we'll have lot... we'll have uh, D- David's list below as well, uh, <laughs> so that you can see sort of what the differences are between the the list I've been um, running and the list that you you just recently ran. I think like right now, typically speaking, people run three one mana artifacts, which is always going to be shadow sphere. Um, pretty much always going to be Spellbomb with the prevalence of like Murktide and Merrily. It's just yeah. it's just too good. Um, and then I'm a bigger fan of main deck Pithy Needle over um, Soul Guide Lantern. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Pithy Needle but... just has too many relevant hits between I'm always okay with naming Wasteland, yeah. whatever, Planeswalker, One Ring, screw, you know, I, I, I'll name Caracas. Like, <laughs> it's 
it's uh it's just too good and you just mentioned like if you chose wrong you can odawara it back to your hand and play yeah. and play it on the right target you know yeah i i almost was gonna ask if there was a world where people play an additional pithing needle on the sideboard or if that's something that's ever been considered because oh. there's times often where i'm like you know, I'll play matches where I'm like, man, I would like Pithy Needle would be excellent in this position and not even from somebody who can tutor it, you know, that uh, like having multiple Pithy Needles would be good. I've definitely considered all the time going up an extra Pithy Needle. Mm-hmm. It's like Pithy Needle, it, it's such an unsung MVP of the deck. It's won me so many games. Like a lot of the times you're like, oh, I guess Shadow Spear. I was like, I don't need Shadow Spear. I'm going to just get Pithy Needle and name the one card that I'm afraid of. Yeah, because it's like I, I was gonna say we we we've we, David and I have had like a, a stretch where for like two months every we were just getting time. Pa- every every single every week time. I've seen the somehow matches. I've seen the matches somehow yeah. we always yeah and there, there was there was one time where you know Anurza Saga was coming off chapter three I had a fetch in play and this was post board and I'm like I don't need to crack the fetch right now there's no way that he left in pithing needle and then he gets pithing needle and names my fetch and I like audibly was like it's still in. But like, why? And then I was trying to, I was like racking my brain. I was like, what is in my deck that he would possibly want this for? And then when we talked about it afterwards, it was like, yeah, I had to keep Needle in for Caracas. And I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Caracas can be such a feels bad card if you're on the Emery side of your deck. Yeah. It, it That one card can truly just like sometimes hose you depending on the situation you're in. Pithing Needle is an interesting card, uh, specifically because it lives in the same space uh, strategic-wise as Cabal Therapy does. It behooves a player who knows what they're doing to make the right call, Um, especially if they're doing it in the blind. You know, Cabal Therapy is less of of an issue once you know what's in your opponent's hand, uh, or once you know what's on the board for your opponent. But um, Phil came over last last weekend, and we were playing, and... um, I, I got a, a pithy needle and I, I I tossed it down. I can't remember what I named. And then he slammed a Jace and I was just like, I'm the biggest idiot in the world. Like, I, you know, because who plays Jace anymore anyhow? But of course, Phil does. Wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> and, and and I was just like, oh, God, why did I just name, you know, why did what, I just name like the, the obvious card, you know? What did you but, name? Uh, I, I, you know, I can't remember now. Uh, it might have been one of his fetch lands, I think. I, I think you named Teferi 3. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't think Phil plays to Fairy Three. I could be wrong. I I, I wasn't in that build, but yep. I think I think in in the, if if you're unsure, I think that's a, that was a reasonable name. Yeah, Phil Phil had a weird a weird version of the deck that was winning with lightning bolts. So uh, I don't play let, weird cards. Lightning, I think bolt, every lightning bolt of Phil's deck is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I play stock and only stock. You so, are the stock. I am stock. <laughs> yes. So very stocky. Uh, we'll have we'll have a list. Uh, uh, your, you know, the list that you won, won the 1K with below. Yeah. Um, but are are there any changes that you would make to the deck after after winning the 1K? Um, let's see. Pull up this lovely deck list. Uh, I mean, so the metas, I think, in terms of changes to deck list, I just started testing out online uh, the Swifty build, which is for Kappa. Oh, sorry. Um. Four Patchwork Automaton, three Kappa, um, only two Chalices, um, one Thought Monitor because, and then the big thing um, that's a good bit different is two uh, Metallic Rebukes. Yeah, I've been seeing Metallic Rebuke um, a lot. I tried Metallic Rebuke one time. I actually played against Phil with it one week. Um, 
I like I was like, eh, it's alright. But I'm starting to revisit it. Swifty's build is less bury your opponent in extreme card advantage in some way, shape, or form. And it, it, it only it almost becomes like this I'm gonna I guess merge a lot of words together, like stompy, like tempo-ish deck. It's like it's like a taller delver, because you can go turn one, patchwork, have backup with your one mana counter, which is gonna counter anything. It's not a conditional counter. Yeah. And they're not gonna have the three mana to pay for it. So it, it's just play it an early threat and then protect it with counters, you know, because he's on six counters instead of four two of which don't require you to pitch another card, and it's really easy to just tap one blue source and two artifacts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's it's always weird to me to... Uh, well, specifically, it's, it's easy to tap the two artifacts when you have something like an artifact creature that you just put into play that you haven't attacked with yet, right? Yeah, it just, I just mean, taps itself. Tapping the chalice to cast your... Oh, that's my favorite uh, thing. Your, I mean, it, it, it just... It feels disrespectful, right? Like, it, it's like... It's like you feel like you're getting away with something in that in that regard, right? Like, if I get to tap an artifact for improvise that has no tap effect, I feel so good. Yeah, Spell it bomb, is so good. Chalice, yeah. <laughs> Shadow Spear. I'm like, oh, it doesn't even yeah, do anything. It's like a tangle when, wire. When <sighs> that pithing needle is also a mock sapphire, you're like, oh, oh. chef's kiss. It feels good. <laughs> I think. Yeah. I think the very first time that uh, a, a player taps a tangle wire for their tangle wire. Is like when they is is when the, they just like completely get taken over by the dark side. They're just like, oh yeah, remember this? Like, I'm gonna stack the counters this way, tap the tangle wire with this other tangle wire, and then just watch their opponent just like tap every one of their permanents. And they're like, oh, I'll just attack with one of my creatures. You know, uh, I played standard during that era, and it was just bonkers. It was the best thing ever. Yeah, just free value is addicting. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's a good place to call it. Uh, we we have you know uh, a a lot of really good information about eight cast, and like I said, you're going to come on uh, later this week or late, or early next week, and we're going to have a full like uh, feature length uh, like eight nine minute uh, episode of you uh, really getting into explaining the deck and explaining the the concepts and value of of the deck as well. So I think. Uh, one, I'd love to. I'd like to thank you for coming on this week to to hang out exactly. and talk with us about it, Cast. Yeah, thanks so much, Redib. Yeah, I get the joy of seeing Phil every week at the at Game Storia over in Queens. You, he he loves David loves sitting across from me because uh, he's got you know what is it like a twenty seven and no record at, at the moment. I'm so. What did you say? Still trying to get on the board. <laughs> Someone's like, Phil, why didn't you just kill the Emery in the comments? I was like, well, he would have if he could. It's not, you know, it's not the big brain strategy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't think about just having the removal spell in my yeah. hand. Yeah, yeah, I should have thought of, I should have considered that. Why are you letting yeah. me draw two cards every turn? Come on. Yeah. It's really a mystery. It's really a mystery why I would choose to let you do that. Yeah. <laughs> just stop it. Stop, let it. stop just like yeah, throwing just, games. Yeah. I don't understand why I made that choice, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, also it was it was great to finally get a chance to to meet you face to face as well. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, if if you you're watching and you enjoyed this video, don't forget to you know like it, subscribe, you know comment, all that stuff. Actually, yeah, if you have any questions uh, for David, we'll happily pass those on to him as well. So go ahead and comment that down below, uh, and uh, some of this may make its way into the uh, future video as well.
Thanks for watching, everybody. We're about to do a new deck tech video for 8cast, but here's the old one. Let us know what you think. Where do you think we can improve?